You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. What if I told you your worst circumstances don't have to define your life anymore? Welcome to the Made for This podcast. I'm Jenny Allen. Hey, if you are reading Get Out of Your Head book along with us as we listen to this podcast, make sure to get a couple extra copies and go to JennyAllen.com to download the free Get Out of Your Head book club kit. We have made it super simple for you. All you have to do is text a few friends, get your copies of the book, download the PDF, and you guys are on your way to a 10-week journey to stopping the spiral of your toxic thoughts. So make sure to head over there and download it today. All right, guys, we are talking about something that can feel heavy, but I think is going to change your thinking and change your life because we have accidentally all become victims. And I'm telling you, you want to talk about something that robs joy. It is not believing we have responsibility over our lives, that we have authority or power over our lives. When we start to believe that we are victims to our lives, to our circumstances, to our thoughts to our feelings to our situations oh my gosh that is where we become paralyzed we become defeated we become sad 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 and so this one matters it is absolutely rampant in our culture to some degree all of us have taken up this banner of victimhood in some way it might just be a small it might not be on twitter it might be in a relationship where you've been wounded it might be with a circumstance that just feels so unfair we have been owning this idea that we are so wronged and i say no more no more and the reason i say no more is because that is a miserable way to live and it's not even true that god has given us so much authority and power over our circumstances, over our feelings, over our mind, over our attitudes about things that we can change and we don't have to live like this. So let's talk about, first of all, there are real victims. I want to be super clear. I'm not saying that there are not real victims. My gosh, the news, you just have to watch it one minute and you see true atrocity against mankind, like just things that you can't, your stomach can't even barely handle of the difficult circumstances so many of you are facing right now. It's unthinkable. Some of you have been victimized to such an incredible level. And so I just want to say to all of you that have been abused, to all of you that have been wounded and hurt by people, I am so, so sorry. And no, I'm not saying that you aren't a victim. You are a victim to a crime, to a perpetrator, to an action that was done against you. You are a victim. But what's interesting is as I've interviewed people that are victims, what I've found is that so many of them don't even like that word. They don't want to they don't want to use that word about themselves because they don't want to give that much power to their perpetrator. They like the word survivor better because that puts the power in their court. They're saying, you know what, I survived you. I survived that attack. And I think what I've heard and learned from them is that 
being a survivor puts the power back in their court and they want to be those that are not defined by the thing that happened to them. They don't want that title. And I think what we've got to do is, and again, if that's you, if that's not you, if you're sitting there going, nope, I am a victim and I need that title, I, nobody's going to take that from you. Nobody's going to tell you how this should go, okay? That's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm speaking to is the victimhood mentality of all of us that continues to feel like we have been wronged and life isn't fair and it's us against the world. I'm going to use a story about my son as an example. When my son came home recently from fishing with some friends, he had this story of just, I mean, wow, it was bad. Like how he got treated, went went down. I was like, wow, this is pretty bad. And then I was like, well, Cooper, what did you do to to bring this on? And he, he said, well, you know, I mean, I mean, it wasn't fair, but I, I got mad because so-and-so said this, and then I threw his stuff in the lake, and I was like, well, okay, buddy, you know, not so much of a victim, and I think that's what I'm talking about is not true victims that have been completely sinned against and abused. I'm talking about the fact that we are moving in and out of relationships, in and out of circumstances where we continue to just go, woe is me, I am being wronged by the world, when likely we need to take some more responsibility for our own actions, and how have we contributed to this situation? Also, I'm talking about victimhood that steals the power of God from a situation where we begin to speak as if there's helplessness and hopelessness when God has said, I've made you more than conquerors. I've made you more than conquerors, and I've equipped you, like Corinthians says, with divine weapons to destroy strongholds. So we are not victims to our lives. We're not victims to our minds. We're not victims. Now, I'm not talking about chemical imbalance and things like that that, that truly are out of our control. I'm talking about just our stubborn will, you know? I'm just talking to the the stubborn will in all of us that just says, poor me. We have a poor me mentality. And what happens when we live in that? And even if we struggle with mental illness, even if we struggle with victimhood from real serious hurt and abuse and crimes, we still can't live in that place of poor me or we're gonna lose all our joy and we're not gonna believe God for healing. We're not gonna believe God for a future and a hope. And so what I'm saying is we gotta shift that. So let's look at the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How does God say we change and shift our mindset from poor me to good God? And it is this, it is with gratitude. It is with gratitude. It is with worship. It is that we see the good in our lives. People that are grateful are happier. This is not mysterious science stuff. This is science though. In the studies that I looked at, universally, people that just say things like thank you, they actually change their chemistry. They change the way that their bodies are working. Expressing gratitude caused subjects in the study that the National Institute of Health did to increase dopamine hits. The reward transmitters actually send happy thoughts to your brain. Like this is something that changes our chemistry. This isn't just something that God says to do because it's the right thing to do. God hardwired us to be grateful people. We had this episode recently with Ann Voskamp. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. But she talks about how this choice for her has come in the midst of difficult circumstances. We don't choose to be grateful when things are good. We choose to be grateful when things are hard to keep ourselves breathing, to stay alive. If you look back at the episode with my little sister who walked through hell, she said she kept a gratitude journal at the end of every 
dark day during her her world falling apart and she would write at the end of every day everything God had done to take care of her that day and she would give thanks because she knew that in giving thanks and in choosing to see the good she would be able to get up and breathe she would be able to do the next day because every single day there are things to be grateful for even in the midst of difficulty our model for this is is Paul, right? I mean, he we've been looking at the book of Philippians and different portions of Paul's writings throughout the scriptures. And the apostle Paul was often in difficult circumstances. And yet he had this ability to view his life within this framework of eternity and with this framework of great hope and great joy and great gratitude. If all Paul saw were his circumstances and his imprisonment, then he would have been despondent. But he didn't just see that. He actually saw the power of God to use him in the midst of those circumstances. He saw the power of God to use him in the midst of a generation by writing these letters to the churches. He saw the the power of God to eventually rescue him and bring him home. So there was great hope in Paul that whatever his circumstances were, they were God-given. And how could he twist them instead of being the victim in prison even as an innocent man, how could he twist that circumstance and believe that he was in the exact right spot so that Philippians says that even the guards are seeing the glory of God in him? Like this is what happened in prison is that guards were saved. Like he saw himself as a missionary, even in prison, even when he was so unjustly treated. I think this whole idea of living a life of gratitude instead of victimhood, it feels daunting. It feels like, how do I move into this? And I think the way that we've got to do it is, one, we've got to believe in all of these situations that these supernatural, divinely powerful weapons that Corinthians talks about, that they're real, that we are actually fighting with real weapons, even though they're invisible, that gratitude is a weapon that slays darkness, that prayer is a weapon that slays darkness, that connection with other people and them fighting for us, it slays darkness. Time with God, it slays darkness. So we can't treat these like, oh, I'm just going to say a prayer. It's like, no, I'm going to fight the devil. You know, that's what we're doing with prayer. And so we've got to believe in these things that God is saying his power dwells in because it's supernatural fighting supernatural, right? And so what the enemy wants is for us to lay down and be impotent, to just not be able to do anything good, to just sit there and feel sorry for ourselves and be passive recipients of a hard life until we get to heaven because that is a sad state of affairs. The dangerous ones are the ones that get up, grab the sword and go fight. Like, and they say, I don't care if what's happened to me, let's go. I, mean, my, my, I mentioned my my husband's grandfather, who's in his 90s, that fought in World War II. He was dropped out of an airplane. His parachute didn't open. He crashes, blacks out. He's in a prisoner of war camp in Germany. I mean, it was it was dark and horrible. He loses fingers. He's, he's just this man that has everything stacked against him. And yet he's like, no, I'm going to go be a great husband. I'm going to build a great life. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to raise my kids to love God. I'm going to be a good man. And And I watch his life and I go, okay, that is what it looks like. It's not slaying darkness is slaying the things that would cripple us and make us bitter and make us competitive and make us cranky. You know, I mean, that's like fighting the good fight is choosing delight and choosing joy and choosing gratitude instead of choosing cynicism and victimhood. This is what it looks like. We slay the darkness by choosing joy over choosing to pout our whole lives because life wasn't fair. And I'm not saying life hasn't been really unfair to you. Goodness gracious, I know your stories. I've done ministry to you for a long time, a lot of you, and I'm sitting there. I mean, we sit in awe. In fact, just at my break, right before I got on here, 
this session, I, I was scrolling my phone and the office right now is freaking out because they asked for prayer online. And the, the prayer requests that came in were pages and pages of difficulty that we can't even stomach or imagine for you. So, so I'm not dismissing this pain. I'm saying that there is a God that's bigger than it and that living as a victim to it is not an option for you. Like it is not a way to live. And being someone who sees the good through it, and I mean, this is something my sister could preach so much better than me because she has tasted darkness beyond anything I could ever imagine. She has tasted brokenness beyond anything I could ever imagine. But I watched her up close and I can tell you, she chose gratitude and God protected her joy, protected her delight, protected her heart. And she still loves him and she still loves those kids and she's not bitter and she's not angry. And it is just forgiveness is a better way to live. It's a better way to live. So we have a choice. We can center our thoughts on the certainty that no matter what comes, we are upheld securely by God's righteous right hand. So refusing to be a slave to our circumstances doesn't mean that we don't fight for what's right. Scripture tells us to fight. We're supposed to be justice warriors, crying out for justice, defending the cause of the oppressed. So scripture says, but in Christ, we can fight not from a place of insecurity and outrage, but from a place of reconciliation. This way of Jesus, it's going to change everything. In Jesus, we acknowledge our frustration. It's not that we ignore it. We acknowledge our pain, our suffering, but we do that without losing our joy, without losing our peace. See, Jesus has this power to right the wrongs. And and I remember early on in If Gathering, a rumor was spread and things were said about me that were so hurtful. I mean, so hurtful that, and it was publicly done. And, and for about three days, I didn't eat, I didn't sleep. Like it was just, it was just a, like my worst dreams were coming true. And I told this story before, but, but I read that book, Tale of Three Kings. And what happened in Tale of Three Kings is that David continued to hold back people that were going to defend his name. And his, his answer to them was, you know what? God is my defender. I'm not going to make this right. I'm not going to be the one that goes and defends my own name. God will defend me. And you know what? God in the end defended David, but in the midst of it, David wasn't immediately defended. One of the people tearing him down was his own son out in the world, like fighting against him, trying to take over the throne. I cannot imagine how much hurt that caused. But you see the Psalms of David and he continued to just trust God and to say, you know what? Even if all this falls apart, you are good, even if. And so I'm not saying that there's not an even if. There is. There are so many circumstances where you're having to say to yourself and to God, even if the worst dream comes true, even if the worst thing happens to me, you are good. You are good. And I'm not going to live in weakness and in distress. I'm going to live in power with authority. Now, that word, it can get used wrongly. I mean, we can start to say if we just speak with authority over our cancer or over our circumstance that it'll go away. And my, in my experience, it's not that we don't pray like that because God can, and I've seen him do it. He can heal people. He can flat just change the diagnosis. But I also think we do it with the reality that our ultimate hope and healing is in heaven, that ultimately the, the wrongs will be made right, but they may not be made right until heaven. So with authority, we speak over it because our eternity is set, not necessarily because everything works out okay here. So how does this actually flush itself out? One, I think we've got to see it in ourselves. And we got to ask bold questions of our friends. We need to ask our friends, like, do you see me being a victim to my circumstances, to my mind, to my emotions? Ask that question to people that know you really well and be ready for the answer. Because honestly, this enemy that's fighting for us, people see it. 
people notice that we're victims. I, I promise you, I can tell in the posture of my son walking out from school if he is walking out as someone who got picked on all day or as someone who has chosen joy because every day is about the same for a fifth grade boy. People are smack talking to you every day. It's not a difference in what was said to him that day. It's a difference in how he handled it. And so we've got to ask people, do you see this in me? Do you see me being a victim to my circumstances? And then we got to own that. And we got to say, okay, what does it look like for me not to live as a victim to this? What does it look like for me to, with authority and with power, to trust God more and to hope more and to believe the truth about myself, to believe the truth about my future? And that's going to take war, right? We're at war. All of these situations, all these things, remember, these are enemies. They are coming for us. And we've got to fight back. We can't just passively get over this and like have a positive thought. We have to fight this in a bigger way than just changing our thinking. We have to actually go to war with it. Go to war with these weapons. And I'm telling you, gratitude is one that helps this. When you are going through something where you feel beat up, where you feel like backed in a corner, where you feel like helpless, hopeless, I want you to start noticing. Noticing the good in people, noticing the good from God, noticing the good in your life. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? Everything is not going to hell in a handbasket. I actually see God advocating for me. I see good happening around me. I see good in myself. I see myself being stronger than I was yesterday. I see myself getting up today and taking care of my kids when I didn't think I could breathe. You start to notice those things and you start to realize how strong you are, how strong God has made you, and how good he has been to you and how much he's watching out for you. It is a different way to live. It's a supernaturally different way to live. Okay, Jenny. People who live like this, what do they look like? I'm going to go with Tasha here because she has every reason. She's fighting injustice every single day. She's doing racial reconciliation every single day. And my friend Tasha Morrison leads a ministry called Be the Bridge. And I'm telling you what, she is so joyful. And I think about our friendship and the times I've said things I shouldn't have and all that. And she moves with such grace in such a loaded situation. And rather than be a victim, she's such an overcomer. And she's like, I want to see the world change. She lives with such hope and a vision of what could be. And it drives her forward and it keeps that cynicism and that victimhood at bay. And she really is just this bright shining light of like hope and reconciliation. And let's move toward the people that have hurt me. And she would say, if she were here, the reason she does that is because Jesus has moved toward her. I mean, she is so clear that the gospel is the root of reconciliation, that what Jesus did for us is why we can move forward as not being victims. And that's what I pray for my son who continually kind of struggles. This is one of his like enemies that I constantly see in his mind that he's the victim. And I'm like, buddy, yes, there are plenty of times that you have been wronged in life. But gosh, think of how many times you have wronged God and how much he has come for you. And ultimately, that's what we all stand on is, is yes, we are also the guilty ones and we have also done the wrong. And that's where grace takes root is those who have been forgiven much, scripture says, forgive much. And the more we're in touch with our gratitude of how much we've been forgiven from, the more we will be able to forgive other people. But what it looks like is it looks like free, joyful, peaceful people that aren't out of touch with what's been done to them, but they are in touch with what God has done for them. Here's where it gets miraculous is when the very people that hurt you, you move toward in reconciliation and love. That's where you just are. I mean, supernatural God sprinkles are like all over it and explosion of the spirit and people are getting saved because I mean, that's when you just can't, you don't have a category for it where people are being forgiven for things that have hurt them 
and then reconciled. It's just, that's what this could do, is it screams of a God that issues hope that is beyond our understanding. Hey, we love that we have been reading the Get Out of Your Head book together, and we are in the final chapter. So make sure you read chapter 14 to get ready for next week's episodes on complacency and intentionality. If you have been looking for a place for your child or your family to go to summer camp, we hope that you would consider Pine Cove. We are big fans of summer camp over here. I personally worked at Pine Cove for two summers in college and can say confidently that Pine Cove campers and staff love Jesus. We are excited because Pine Cove gave us a special discount code just for you guys. If you go to pinecove.com slash youthcamp, use the code Jenny250, you can get $250 off a first time overnight youth camp registration.